Okay, we're in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 10 this afternoon. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. We're going to read uh, only three verses in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. We're going to read verses 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The title of the message this afternoon is Pulling Down Strongholds. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the spiritual food that we've already had an opportunity to be fed with. We thank you for Jesus Christ and Lord, who He is and what He has accomplished on our behalf. And we thank You, Lord, that even now, uh, though we still be sinful, uh, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and have access to our intercessor. We thank You for Jesus. We thank You for forgiveness that we have through Jesus. And Lord, this afternoon as we delve into this passage of Scripture, help us to be prepared for the warfare that is before us. Help us as believers to understand that we are in a war and then to understand how we are to conduct ourselves in carrying out this war. And Lord, I pray that in all things your will would be accomplished, that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. We pray that you'd strengthen the saints of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pulling down strongholds. Now, you do recall, we're here we are at the end of January. Our church theme uh, for 2023 is striving for consistency. And if we are to strive for consistency in 2023, we must remember our warfare. Believers are engaged in spiritual warfare. Now, there are many, many reasons why a nation would enter into a war. And there are many goals that we could have and should have in our spiritual war. But one of the goals in battle is to elude captivity by the enemy. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, Paul is in the process of vindicating himself from his enemy's accusations. He is, in chapter number 10, defending his apostolic authority and his apostolic ministry, and he is in essence proving that he has been sent by God to do what he is doing, specifically in his vindication and defense, in our text passage, he is referring to claims of false teachers that they had made against him and his ministry, and Paul is contrasting their approach with God's approach. And as we think about this, what Paul is really doing is he is reciting how he, by the grace of God, was able to pull down these strongholds. Paul's words are effective for us as we get engage in spiritual warfare. We need to know how to pull down the enemy's strongholds. We learn much from Paul's writings. And we learn much from Paul about how we are to pull down strongholds. 
And this afternoon as we investigate these three verses that deal with pulling down strongholds, there are three details that we must understand if we ever hope to pull down strongholds. Each verse, 3, 4, and 5, contains one of these details. In verse number 3, we see this detail. We are engaged in a distinctive warfare. In verse number 4, the second detail, God has issued to us a destructive weaponry. And then in verse number 5, we see this third and final detail. God has provided through the Apostle Paul a description on how to win in pulling down our strongholds. Three details that we must understand and grasp if we hope to pull down strongholds. Notice the first detail. It is revealed in verse number 3. We are engaged in a distinctive warfare. Let's read verse 3 again. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. In other words, Paul is saying that in order for us to effectively engage in battle in this war that we're in, we must understand the kind of war that we are engaged and involved in. And as we understand the kind of war, that it is a distinctive warfare, we ought to, by the grace of God, desire to accomplish our mission and perform acceptably in the sight of God in this warfare. Paul wrote to Timothy, and I'm going to be reading this afternoon a number of verses. You can turn there if you like. Uh, Some of them we'll turn to together. I'm going to read some other ones just for sake of time. But in 1 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 18, Paul writing to Timothy, he wrote, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophets which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. And so the point is that we, we, like Timothy, at the urging of the Apostle Paul, we ought to desire to war a good warfare. Well, in order to do that, we have to understand that we are engaged in a distinctive warfare. This is not like wars that are conducted today in society. This is an entirely different type of a war. It's a distinctive war and warfare. Now, in Paul writing here, in verse number 3, notice that he points this out. He emphatically says that we are humans, and as such, we are weak specimens. Does he not say that? Look at verse 3. He writes, For though we walk in the flesh. I don't think Paul is saying here that he was a fleshly or carnal Christian. I think what he's saying here is that we are men. This is what we are. We are human beings. We are like every other person that has ever been born, even in a sense the Lord Jesus Christ, because he was very man. We are men. We are women. And because we are only human, we are subject to the weakness and the frailties of our flesh. He says... For though we walk in the flesh, though we are flesh and bone, though we are simply human beings here on this earth, he says we're humans and as such weak specimens, 
Then he goes on and notice he says, secondly, as we think about the fact that we're engaged in a distinctive warfare, he says, our warfare is spiritual. It's spiritual. He says, he says, by way of writing, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Now, we might in some instances think that because we are human, we are free to act like a human. Okay? In other words, you punch me in the mouth, I'm going to do that and more so to you. By the way, don't get me wrong, and we can debate on this if you want, but there's nothing wrong with defending your person. Okay? There's nothing wrong with defending yourself. Okay? We're not pacifists, you know, and turning the other cheek doesn't mean that, you know, you turn the other cheek and the other cheek until the guy pummels you to death without you defending yourself. Okay? But what I'm saying here is that we might be we might be led by the impulses of our old nature, the flesh, to want to conduct this war that we're in according to the flesh. According to how man conducts warfare here on this earth. And Paul is emphatically stating that, you know what, we're engaged in a distinctive warfare. This is different than how war is conducted here on this earth. We have a different engagement. The rules of engagement are different. We don't have a Geneva Convention. We have a Scripture Convention that teaches us how and we're supposed to conduct ourselves and what we can do. So we don't conduct our warfare, and I believe this is literally what Paul is saying when he writes in verse number 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. I think what he's saying is that we are men and women, but we don't conduct our warfare according to the flesh, according to the principles of this world, according to the way that man conducts warfare. We don't employ worldly views. We don't conduct our warfare with worldly purposes or worldly practices. Just as Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, you know, that you should war a good warfare, he also wrote to Timothy later on in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verses 3 and 4, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and listen to this. He wrote, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We are soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a distinctive warfare that we're involved in. He is not only the captain of our salvation, but He's the general. He determines who and what we engage with. In verse number 4. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now, I believe that we often look at this verse in context of not, not allowing worldly endeavors or activities to interfere with us being a good soldier. But I believe that we can also deduce from this passage of Scripture, this text, or not this text, but this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4, that we're, we're not to be entangled with the affairs of this life in the sense that we begin to conduct our warfare as the world conducts warfare. It is a distinctive warfare that we're involved in. We have a different engagement. And why do we have a different engagement? Because we have a different enemy. We have a different enemy. We don't adopt the world's practices... Because our enemy is different. You have enemies 
here on this earth. I could question you. I could say, and, and I'm not talking about why they're your enemy, okay? But I could say to you, who's your enemy? And you'd, you'd have some names of some people that, for whatever reason, they're, they count you as an enemy. They're your enemy, okay? Um, but this enemy that we're talking about in our warfare, spiritually, is an entirely different animal. In fact, what does Paul write? And by the way, the writings of Paul are entirely consistent. Right? He doesn't write one thing in one passage of Scripture, and then in another passage he contradicts it, and we can't determine what he means. He's entirely consistent in his writings. And what did Paul write in Ephesians chapter number 6? And I will tell you that here in just a little bit we're going to go to Ephesians chapter number 6, and we're going to look at these verses in detail. But, but Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse number 12, you know it well. You might not be able to quote it, but you know its contents. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It is a distinctive warfare. What is going on in Ukraine with the Russians right now is not a warfare that is being conducted against spiritual enemies. Now, we could make the argument that there is that as well. But right now, when missiles are launched and tanks fire shots, these are flesh and blood that they're conducting warfare against. That's not our warfare. It's a distinctive warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Well, who do we wrestle against? Who's our warfare against? But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We have a distinctive warfare because our enemy is different. The word wrestle here in Ephesians chapter number 6, verse number 12 in the Greek, I, I love the, the definition of this. I'm going to read this to you. And <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's a phrase in here that I like to use, and I'll explain that to you so you don't think, you already think I'm weird, okay? So you don't think I'm more weird. Okay, so listen to this. A contest, this is wrestle. A contest between two in which each endeavors to throw the other and which is decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. Now there's a phrase that I frequently will use and I mean no disrespect to it, uh, but I'll say, you know what, when you're, when you're involved in an endeavor and it's competition, you got to put your foot on your opponent's throat and keep it there i mean you know there's there's two football games today right two conference championship games and both of those teams both in the afc and the nfc that are fighting for this opportunity to go to the super bowl they have got to put their enemy down and metaphorically keep their foot on the throat and if they can score 50 points they need to score 50 points there's no mercy rule Okay, in the National Football League. And, and I say this for a purpose. When we are involved in warfare, we must put our foot on the enemy's throat, metaphorically speaking, and keep it there. We can never let up. Paul is saying this is how we must conduct our warfare. It is not, you know, and, and I'm old enough, obviously, to, to have read about the Vietnam War. I lived during the Vietnam War, but I was a child, okay? Uh, I don't think we really approached that war trying to put our foot on the enemy's throat. 
and not let up. We had all kinds of rules of engagement that our troops were forced to abide by, and uh, I don't think we were really in that to win it. Okay? We must be in this distinctive warfare to win it. And so there's this first detail. Uh, if we want to talk about pulling down strongholds, it begins by understanding this detail that we are engaged in a distinctive warfare. This is not against flesh and blood. This is not something that we're going to accomplish by being like Peter and pulling out our sword and trying to physically take people out. It's a spiritual warfare. The second detail we find in verse number 4. Not only do we see this detail that we must understand, that we're engaged in a distinctive warfare, but we see the second detail, we have been issued a destructive weaponry. A destructive weaponry. God has provided weaponry to us that can wreak untold destruction on the enemy. Look at verse number 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. In other words, the weaponry that God has issued to us is effective to pull down strongholds. Now, as we think about this particular detail, Notice that our weaponry, it is a destructive weaponry, and I'm going to refer to that here in just a little bit, but notice it is a weaponry that is not of the world's prototype. It's not of the world's prototype. I mentioned Peter just a moment ago. When they came to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ, and last year we preached an entire series on the murder of Jesus, this was an unjust arrest. There was no legal basis for the arrest of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had not done anything that was required to secure the proper credentials to arrest Jesus. They just came with a big mob and basically took him into custody. And what did Peter do? Peter gets his sword, and, uh, you know, because he's Peter, uh, Peter's going to wreak havoc, and so he gets his sword out, you know, and you can see him doing his samurai thing, and he whacks the ear off. He wasn't very good aim. I don't know why you'd want to aim at the heck of the ear off. He probably wanted to take his head off, and he missed, okay? Um, that's not our weaponry. The swords of the world are not our weaponry. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not of the world. They are not fleshly. What is our weaponry? Now we turn over to Ephesians chapter number 6, verses 10 through 18. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For, ye wrestle, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. This armor that Paul writes about, it is our weaponry. 
It is our weapon, it is our armor that provides us the weaponry of protection. In fact, every part of the front of the soldier is accounted for in Paul's uh, reciting of the spiritual armor in Ephesians chapter number 6. We have one offensive weapon, which is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Now, it's not our intent this afternoon to spend any time really going through each of these pieces of armor and spiritual weaponry in depth. We've done that multiple times through the years. But the point is that these are not the weaponry that the world uses. Our weaponry, our destructive weaponry that we've been issued by the Lord, it is not of the world's prototype. I just read uh, over the weekend where Minnesota, of all places, we lived in Minnesota for three years back in, uh, it was 96 to 99, uh, they just passed the most liberal abortion rights bill in the nation. Even more liberal than Illinois. Opining that even up to the time of birth it is acceptable to kill the child and they have all of these people all of these learned scholars giving their opinion that this is all about the reproductive health of the woman and they're fools now let's take it a step further you and I say brother that is that's a shame it is a blight upon our nation what are we going to do about this ah here's what we're going to do we're going to go up to those abortion clinics and we're going to wreak some havoc. We're going to burn those abortion clinics down. We're going to attack the doctors that are involved in doing this. And that's going to be how we conduct our warfare against this wicked practice in our country. And we say, after all, because we want to stay the hand of God's judgment upon our nation, and so therefore it's acceptable. Do you see why it's important? to understand that we are involved in a distinctive warfare and our weaponry is not the weaponry of the world. We don't go killing doctors. You know, we didn't, a Christian was not responsible for killing Dr. Tiller in Kansas who was responsible for all the horrible abortions and you can look that up and research it on your own. We don't bomb abortion clinics. Those are not the weapons of our warfare. Our destructive weapons are not of the world's prototype. But our destructive weapons do have the capability of being powerful. Do you notice that I said the capability of being powerful? I think sometimes we look at, at the, war, the, the armor and the weaponry that we have as detailed in Ephesians chapter number 6. And we say, well, you know, uh, if I just read the Bible, then that's taking the sword of the Spirit. You know, if I just... If I just look to Jesus, who is the truth, you know, then then, then I'll then I'll be I'll be I'll be equipped with the armor that I need. If I'm focusing on the gospel, and, and you know my feet are going to be protected, you know, if I'm just thinking about the salvation that only the Lord can provide, then I will have on my head the helmet which will which will protect me from all the onslaughts of the enemy. And I'm here to tell you that it is not the weaponry alone. Notice what Paul writes in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse number 4. He writes, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. They are mighty through God. So though we are armed with the destructive weaponry, only God can activate its effectiveness. In other words, if you're just 
reading the Bible without seeking the face of God and praying for the help of God, don't expect that weaponry to help you out when you're in the midst of battle. These weapons that we've been issued that are destructive, we must have God assisting us and activating their effectiveness in order to empower us to gain the victory. Is that not what Zechariah chapter number 4 and verse number 6 reads? Zechariah 4 verse 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. This means that we got to be close to the Lord. We can't randomly, rotely, and routinely read the word of God as though it's any other book. We've got to pray for the assistance of the Lord to help us and to activate it. We have to put on each piece of our armor with prayer, asking God to assist us. We wake up in the morning and we put on the helmet of salvation and, and the, the breastplate of righteousness. And we put on our, our, our girdle that will protect us as we walk in truth. We, we have our, our feet armed with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And by the grace of God, these are activated to help us. These destructive weapons that we have, they have the capability of being powerful. And then thirdly, as we think about the fact that we've been issued a destructive weaponry, we are empowered to actually pull down the strongholds. This is not just metaphorical language that Paul is using. We actually, by the grace of God, have the ability to pull down strongholds. Now, we've got to this point in the message without really talking about what these strongholds are and what it really means to pull them down. The title of the message is Pulling Down Strongholds, but what does that mean? Well, I think in, in, in order for us to be empowered to actually pull down the strongholds, we have to come to an understanding of what we're really talking about here. And it begins with this. Satan's purpose. Satan's purpose. Now, we are children of the Lord, and we serve the Lord. So the question that I'm about to ask you may seem a little bit odd. When's the last time you thought about Satan? You said, brother, I'm a child of God, I don't think about Satan. Well, then you're going to get defeated pretty quickly. Because if you're not thinking about your enemy, and you're not prepared to deal with how your enemy is going to attack you, you're going to be defeated. Okay, We don't worship Satan. We don't dwell on Satan. But we have to know his purposes. Now the word for strongholds here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse number 4. You see where it says that the weapons, uh, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What are these strongholds? Well, Vincent's word studies says that the word stronghold stronghold literally can refer to a dungeon. A dungeon. Now, if you've ever read any type of history about any of our prisoners of war that were taken captive, they didn't get to stay at a five-star Hilton. Okay, I know they mockingly referred to the Hanoi Hilton. Okay, But they were, they were put in dungeons. They were, they were treated improperly. They were captured by the enemy, and they were held captive by the enemy. This is Satan's purpose. Satan wants to disable us and create strongholds in our lives that will prohibit us from serving God as we ought. 
Here's another way that Vincent describes these strongholds. He writes that they are used of the rock forts on the coast of Paul's native Cilicia, which were pulled down by the Romans in their attacks on the Cilician pirates. And so they are literally fortresses that Satan wants to erect in your life that will keep you involved in losing the battles that you engage in that, are, that make up your Christian warfare. What strongholds has Satan been able to erect in your life? And we could list, listen, we could go through and spend a whole message on that. But what are they? You know, some of us are, are taken with the stronghold of relationships. And we will do anything to preserve our relationships. You have children. I have children. I love my children. How many people put their children above God? They will forsake the Lord and His church if somebody offends their little Johnny or Susie and their children as their idol. Satan has erected a stronghold. How about career? I will absolutely do anything for my job and my career. Satan has erected a stronghold. And you name it. I mean, we were on the way to services this morning and we go by the tennis place and the tennis place is full of people going to tennis. And I said to Darlene, why people going to tennis this early? And then we say, yeah, they go play golf, they work out, and the Lord's houses are vacant. Satan has erected a stronghold in their life where that's the most important thing. Satan's purpose is to construct these strongholds whereby he takes us captive and we, through our negligence, willingly yield our obedience to him. We make him king. Read Romans chapter number 6. Well, this is in direct conflict with what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, earlier in the book, where in 2 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verse number 11, Paul wrote, lest Satan should get an advantage, and the word advantage there means to make a gain, lest Satan should get an advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. You've got to know what your enemy wants to do. The strongholds that he wants to create. We see Satan's purpose. But then... We note our superpower. I must admit, I've never seen any of the movies that deal with uh, the superheroes. What are these called now? You got Marvel and what you know what I'm talking about. You got Superman. All that. I've never seen any of them. I'm not interested in seeing it. It's not my thing. Okay. But you want to talk about real superpower? A child of God has real superpower supplied by the Lord. Now notice, in in chapter number 4, he says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The words pulling down there in the English, it's two words. It's one one word in the Greek. It is uh, katharsis. And it means demolition. It is translated twice in our Bible, destruction. So the point here on this detail is that we've been issued a destructive weaponry. The weapons that we have as they are activated by the Lord. These are powerful weapons. By them we have superpower. We can pull down strongholds. Robertson's word picture talking about this phrase, pulling down strongholds. He says, it is to take down, to tear down walls and buildings. It carries the military metaphor. And so, beloved, 
When we talk about our warfare that we're involved in and the strongholds that the enemy wants to erect in taking us captive and making us useless in our warfare, we have superpowers to be able to pull them down. Now, the most powerful weapon ever formed by the United States was these right here. No, I'm kidding. Just seeing if you're awake. Okay, just seeing if you're awake. The, the most powerful weapon ever developed by the United States was a nuclear bomb called the B-41. The B-41. It was a thermonuclear weapon that was deployed by the Strategic Air Command in the early 60s. We have Air Force people here. We remember SAC, right? This thermonuclear bomb had a maximum yield of 25 megatons of TNT. Now, a megaton carries the explosive force of one million tons of TNT. For comparison's sake, the fission bomb that was detonated over Hiroshima in ending World War II had an explosive blast equivalent to 12,500 tons of TNT. The B-41 thermonuclear bomb could literally destroy society if it were deployed. And you know what? The weaponry that God has issued to us is far more destructive than the B-41. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of Satan's strongholds, of everything that is erected to keep us captive. Our weapons are more powerful. Isaiah wrote about the power. In 50, Isaiah chapter 54 and verse number 17, where he wrote, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. That's our heritage. So we don't have to go around defeated. We don't have to go around held captive by the enemy. I just can't get victory over this sin in my life doesn't have to be that way we have a destructive weaponry that we've been issued that is effective in pulling down strongholds we move on to our third and final detail and i'll quickly get to this it's found in verse number five we have to understand this detail and grasp this detail if we're ever going to pull down strongholds god has provided us a description through the apostle paul's writing on how to win we, we have a blueprint. Paul provides a blueprint on taking down strongholds. It's here in verse number 5. Look at verse number 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. If you want to pull down strongholds, it can't be done without verse number 5. Paul is providing a blueprint on how these are taken down. And in so doing, he is giving us insight as to how the enemy will attack. Now notice here, the first step in this description on how to win and pull down strongholds is we, we must demolish carnal reasoning. We must demolish carnal reasoning. Look at what he writes in verse 5. Casting down imaginations. Casting down imaginations. Now here... 
it's a different Greek word than pulling down in verse number 4. In verse number 4, he, Paul writes that our weapons are mighty through the, to pulling down of strongholds. But here he says in verse number 5, casting down. Imagine, it's not the same Greek word. In fact, casting down here is katerio, uh, and it literally means to demolish and to lower by the use of force. I don't know if any of you have ever lifted weights. You know, and Darlene was commenting on this the other day. You know, you see these people now that are lifting weights. You lift this massive amount of weight. You know, and the guy, you know, the guy gets it's a deadlift and he gets it up there and then he just steps out of the way and lets it fall. We were never trained to do that in lifting weights. You lower the weight by force, you control the weight, and you put it down. Paul is literally saying that we are to put down imagination. What's imagination? Well, here it literally means reasoning. If this, this Greek word is only used twice in the New Testament, and the only other time it is translated in the New Testament is translated thoughts. He is referring to the worldly systems of false philosophy that the devil erects in our minds. And you do know that your mind is where the devil mainly operates. And so he wants us to develop the thought processes of the world. In fact, think about this. Well, who goes to church anymore on Sunday? I can worship God while I'm playing tennis or I'm fishing or I'm hunting. I can worship God in nature. Who needs to be a member of one of the Lord's churches today? That's not necessary for today. Who goes to church on Wednesday night? Who prays before they eat? Who consults God when they're thinking about which job to take? I'm just going to look at the one that's going to pay me the most money. Who consults God about small decisions in your life about where you're going to live or, or what kind of car you're going to buy? I don't need God for any of that. And the devil has accomplished his purpose. We need God in every area of our lives. We are to demolish carnal reasonings. We are not to trust in our own thought process, but to rely on the Lord. It begins by demolishing carnal reasoning. And then destroying, secondly, destroying all that raises itself up against God. Anything that is in conflict with God in your life must lose. God does not come second. God is not secondary. Notice he says here by way of writing, And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. It refers to every exalted, prideful opinion that vaunts itself against God. Are you guys really so stupid to think that the earth is only 6,000 plus years old? I mean, I went to the, went to the museum the other day, and man, the, I, they say the earth's millions and billions of years old. Are you really so stupid to think that God created the heavens and the earth? Are you really so dumb as to think that God gave us a word which is to govern and guide our lives here on this earth? See, worldly reasoning doesn't dictate that we live that way. Worldly reasoning exalts itself against God. It develops this system of philosophy that, that culminates in prideful opinions against God. Is this not the description of the reprobate? 
in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but become vain, became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. We must destroy all that raises itself up against God. And then lastly and thirdly, we are to deliver every thought to the rule of Christ. Notice he says lastly in verse 5, and bringing, every, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Have you ever caught yourself thinking about what you're thinking about? What do you think about? You're sitting there in the evening, you worked hard all day, you come home, you're sitting there on the couch, what do you think about? Who rules your thought life? See, we're supposed to bring every thought into the obedience and the captivity of Christ. Notice the contrast. Not in captivity of the enemy, not in the strongholds of the enemy, but Paul is using similar wording here, and he says, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We are to deliver every thought to the rule of Christ. As one commentator put it, we are to carry captive our complete understanding. Our complete understanding. I'll close with this quote from Albert Barnes, and he summarizes it best. Listen to this. He says, The figure here is evidently taken from military conquest. The, the idea is that all the strongholds of paganism and pride and sin would be demolished. And that when this was done, like throwing down the walls of a city or making a breach, all the plans and purposes of the soul, the reason, the imagination, and all the powers of the mind would be subdued or led in triumph by the gospel like the inhabitants of a captured city. And so it is with the child of God. We're going to either be successful in our warfare or we're not. We're going to be defeated and miserable or we through the grace and power of God are going to pull down strongholds. There are three details that we have to understand. That we're engaged in distinctive warfare. That we've been issued a destructive weaponry. And thirdly, that we've been provided a description on how to win. I'll tell you what, you pray for me, I'll pray for you. That each of us will be victorious in pulling down strongholds. Let's have a word of prayer.